Well, welcome to our broadcast today to the wonderful Words of Life radio program. We're going to be studying the very last chapter of 1 Corinthians today. This will be our conclusion of this wonderful, wonderful letter uh, to the church at Corinth. And I certainly hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. It's a tremendous, tremendous letter. And uh, we have, through the chapters, have come to realize the tremendous value that is in uh, this letter that was penned by the Apostle Paul. But before we begin, let's hear from the psalmist. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And then the psalmist goes on and he says, You are merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger and you are abounding in mercy. You will not always strive with us, nor will you keep your anger forever. You have not dealt with us according to our sins. That's so very, very important. Nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is your mercy towards those who fear you. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that a tremendous promise in the scriptures that uh, even though that we're fallen creatures, that we all of us have been born with the, uh, the nature of Adam, but yet in Christ we have received a new nature. We've been born again, made new creatures in Christ Jesus. And all this was possible because of the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Father, we love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. Thank you for lifting us out of the mighty clay and setting our feet upon the rock of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, Father. We thank you for your word. Now, Lord, we just ask you, as we magnify your word, we ask you, Lord, to grant to us wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. And Father, we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, praise God. Now, like I said earlier, we're in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. This is the uh, conclusion to Paul's letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church. And the wonderful thing about this letter is that Paul establishes The doctrines, not all of them, but many of the doctrines in the church. And so going through this letter, we fail to understand why so many Christian leaders cherry pick these doctrines that they like and then discard and will not practice those doctrines that they don't like. And I hope we understand that the whole gospel is meant to be preached to the whole world. That means the entire New Testament with the Old Testament as a foundation. And we're responsible for every jot and tittle that's in the word of God. And we'll stand before the Lord and have to give an account for that. And so if we ignore scripture, it always leads to our detriment. And it leads to the detriment of the church or the denomination where we're members are a part of. And it's true that many churches, because they've ignored the scriptures, they've fallen and become spiritually dead. You won't find the spirit of God in those churches any longer. But at any time, if they'll repent and if they'll put the word of God first, God will come back. They'll be revived 
and the power of God that the, a lot of these denominations and churches used to enjoy will be present again. Amen. When Paul said, forbid not to speak in other tongues, that's an injunction. Not just for me, not just for Pentecostals, but for all believers. And so, uh, you know, if we're united behind the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then we're going to do whatever we must do to please him. Amen. So uh, and just think about this epistle. Think about the wide range of subjects that we've gone through that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Think about uh, the wisdom of God as opposed to the wisdom of man. Think about um, Christians dealing with one another uh, in terms of uh, lawsuits brought before ungodly judges. Think about uh, divisions in the church. Think about how we are to conduct ourselves in the house of God. Think about uh, how that we are to uh, be compassionate and merciful uh, towards uh, those brothers and sisters in Christ whose faith is weak. Uh, think about the uh, proper partaking of the communion table. Think about the, the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. What place do these gifts hold in our church services? You know, if they're not present at all, we have to ask ourselves, well, why are they not present, especially when Paul tells us that these gifts are to be operated within the church? And think about the resurrection, Paul's teaching on resurrection and how that relates, how the resurrection of Christ relates to us. All of this is vital information for us individually and for the church corporately. So I think this letter, 1 Corinthians, is very, very important to the church, not, back, not just back then, but to us today. So we're going to get into the conclusion of this chapter. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 16, and uh, we'll begin with verse 1. Now, notice what Paul says. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. And isn't it interesting how that Paul, the very next verse after he concludes speaking concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he talks about an offering. And isn't it interesting that so many people criticize the church because they think the church is money grubbers for taking up offerings? Well, it didn't bother the Apostle Paul, so why should it bother us? Besides, these people that like to criticize the church, uh, just think about all the things that the church does in communities. Think about food distribution programs and counseling programs and respite programs and and all of the other nonprofit programs, things that uh, people do and they volunteer. They don't expect to receive one penny in money, but they do it free of charge. And all of this comes out of the church. I know of people in the county where I serve two Saturdays out of the month. Actually, it begins on the two Fridays out of the month. They'll drive round trip 30 to 40 miles to go to a distribution center and to unload a, a van, a, tr a truck, a trailer truck. And uh, they'll load their portion of food up into trailers and they'll take that food back to their churches. They'll distribute that food. And on Saturday mornings, they'll start at eight o'clock and they'll invite anyone that needs food to come and they'll serve them breakfast. 
and they and the volunteers will eat and then the volunteers will get boxes together, get them prepared. And every person that comes to that church needing food will leave with a box full of food. And I'm talking about a large box full of food, things that they desperately need. Now, will they starve without that food? No, many times. But I'm telling you, people that can barely get by financially, what a tremendous blessing it is to receive a box of food free of charge, given them by people who love God and love them and serve them in the community. And yet there are people in this world, all they can do is criticize the church. Well, uh, they're, they're only looking at the negative aspect. There's much that the church does that normally is not recognized. Now, verse two, he says, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Notice Paul says on the first day of the week, the Greek literally is kata. Mia Sabaton. Sabaton coming from the same Greek word that we use for the Sabbath. And notice that Paul says the first day of the week. So the first Christians, they'd meet on the first day of the week, the same same day that we do. And they do that in honor of the resurrection of Christ. Amen. First day of the week. Jesus was raised on first fruits. That was the first day of the week. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. We talked about that the last time when we were in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And also the first Christians, they would also attend Sabbath on Saturday. And many of them, Paul being a Jew, many of them would consider that the first day of the week would be the Christian Sabbath. Of course, we, you know, we don't call that or, or I don't anyway, don't call uh, Sunday service uh, the Christian Sabbath. Many, many in the church do, but I don't because I don't want people to get confused with what we do on Sunday with what the Jews do on Saturday. Although it's all when you think about it, it's all putting God first. It's all worshiping God. Amen. Praise the Lord. And notice what else that Paul says. He says on the first day of the week, let each of you lay something aside. This is talking about a collection. Now, Paul is getting ready to come to Corinth going through the churches of Galatia, gathering collections for the poor and saints at Jerusalem. And he's already talked to the Corinthian church about this. And so basically what Paul is telling them is that when I come, already have your offering, already have your collection taken up. And this is how you do it. Let everyone, according as God has prospered them, to lay something aside. So when you come together for worship, you're able to give that that little bit. Now, I know that there's many of us in the church that uh, you have like a once a year offering, like for missions or for this or for that, for the collection of the poor, whatever. And I know many of us said, boy, I tell you, I sure would like to be able to give a great, real big offering. Well, this is how you do it. Every week, just lay something aside, just a little bit, $5, $10. And then when the year, when the time comes, at the end of the year or in the middle of the year, whenever, when that time comes and you're going to give an offering, you'll be able to give a good offering. Just think, if you were able to lay up $10 a week over a year, that's five hundred. That's over $500 that you can give an offering. And I know it would do your heart good, and I know that the people would be blessed. And many churches follow that procedure today. So 
And really, when you think about it, most of us, we don't have an abundance. We, we can't give in any, at any one time a large amount of money and for a donation. But if we give a little bit at a time over a longer period of time, we can. Amen. So that's just a wise way to do things concerning offerings. Verse three. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, notice the Apostle Paul was not going to place his hands upon these offerings. He instructed others to do that. Faithful men in the churches that uh, would take the offering to Jerusalem themselves. And if Paul so chose to go with them, he would, but he would never touch the money. And I think that's very important. I know there's many ministers in the church today that uh, have their hands upon the money, and that's not a good thing. Now, when I was pastor, I was the only one able to do it. And so I had to handle the offerings. I had to handle the bookkeeping, things like that. But I always had people that were checking to see what I was doing. I did not do that all myself. Many times I did the bookkeeping and I did all of that. But uh, there were always we always had a check and a balance in church to make sure that nobody had the sole responsibility when it comes when it came to handling money. And there were people there to check up on what I was doing. And that's just the right way to do that, because you and I know full well that uh, there's three things that a minister has to watch out for. And that has to do with money. That has to do with sexual behavior. And that has to do with spiritual pride. And that is not only true for the ministers. It's true for the church members also. All of these three areas can be traps laid by the devil. And we have to be absolutely sure that we don't fall into these traps. And I know many times uh, we we almost have walked into a trap. But thank God for his grace and his mercy that he saved us and delivered us from that. And I say praise God for it. All right. Now, beginning in verse five, we have Paul's final request. And notice what he, he writes. Now, I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. Now, Paul did stay in Corinth for a, pre, uh, for a very short period of time. And... Uh, if you'll go back and read uh, Acts chapter 19 and chapter 20, uh, you'll see what Paul is speaking about here. Amen. Uh, so Paul is saying this. He's saying, I want to come visit you, but I can't come to visit you right now. Well, why? Well, verses eight and nine tell us, for I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost for verse nine for a great and effective door has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Notice Paul said for a great and effective door. That word effective comes from the Greek word energies, and it means powerful. For a tremendous, powerful door has been opened unto me. Amen. Praise God. So I think what Paul's speaking of here is 
what Luke records in Acts chapter 19. That Paul comes to Ephesus, his third missionary journey. And he spends three years in continuous evangelical work. He tries to get something going in the synagogues there. At Ephesus, the Jews will not have any part of it. They actually, they begin to speak against the things that Paul preaches concerning Jesus. So he leaves the synagogue and he enters into a school of Tyrannus. And of course, when we studied the book of Acts, we gave an idea of Paul's day, how that at daybreak he'd be up, he'd be in the marketplace. Not only would he be selling his wares, but he would be encouraging people, witnessing to people about Jesus. And he'd end up around lunchtime, and then in the afternoon he'd go to the school of Tyrannus, and he would spend the entire afternoon teaching and preaching Jesus. And that at night he would go to the new converts' homes, and he would have church services, and he would encourage them and teach them further. What a tremendous ministry the Apostle Paul had. Well, at the end of three years, a tremendous revival had broken out, and we, and we estimate between twenty to 25,000 believers, new believers, had come to Christ. Now, that would be enough people to fill up the amphitheater there in the city of Ephesus. And the city of Ephesus was a large city at that time. So through this great and effective door that was open to the Apostle Paul, the stronghold of the devil over the city was broken. And there were many people began to press. Their eyes were open and they began to press into the kingdom of God and were saved. That is tremendous. Amen. God wants to do that in our cities and in our towns. But we have to stay with it. And if we'll work together, God will grant that. Amen. That the strongholds that the devil has over our towns and villages and cities will be broken. And there will come a tremendous revival. Amen. Now, verse 10 says this. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. So Paul is saying here, if Timothy comes to you, you make him feel at home. And the reason why is because he's a minister. He's a minister on the same level as I am, except for the fact that I'm called to be an apostle. He's working for the Lord just like I'm working for the Lord. Don't do not let anyone despise him. Do not let anyone ignore him just because he's young. He's a qualified minister of the gospel, in other words. But send him after his time there, send him back to me. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. And let me hear from his own mouth, his own words, what a glorious time he had with you while he was there. Amen. Praise God. In verse 12, it says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Apollos was very busy in the ministry, and I'm sure he had a lot of things going on. And so he was unwilling to break off what he was doing at that time uh, and leave the things that he was doing to go to Corinth. But he said, when I have a convenient time, in other words, when there is a lull in the ministry that the Lord has me involved in, then I'll, I'll take the time and I'll go uh, to Corinth. And then Paul says this. This is an exhortation to the church at Corinth, and it's good for us today, too. He says, watch. Stand fast in the faith, be brave, 
be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. Now, I like the word watch. Actually, it means watch ye. We could say it that way. Watch ye. And that has a connotation of prayer. Amen. When we're watching, when we're staying sober, when we're staying awake, we're not being lulled to sleep. Praying, especially praying in the spirit, enables us to stay awake, to become aware. I'm telling you, when we spend time praying in the Holy Ghost, we see things. We know things that ordinarily we would not see and ordinarily we would not know. That's why it's so important for us to watch and pray. And then Paul says this. He says, stand fast in the faith. Actually, the literal translation is quit you like men. Wow. Stand fast in the faith. In other words, play the man. He's talking to the church. Play the man. Be men. Show yourselves to be men. And I know in Hollywood today, they're so anti-Christian. They always depict uh, these carnal, wicked men, unsaved men. They always depict Christians as weak, as ignorant, or as spiritually prideful. But I'm telling you today, the persecuted church around the world proves them wrong. There are men, young men, old men, that are refusing to bow their knee to the God uh, of this world. They're showing themselves to be men. And there's going to come a time, brothers and sisters, where you and I are going to have to show ourselves to be men of God and to be women of God. And I hope we're doing that. Amen. And then Paul says this, let all that you do be done with love. Love for God. We stand up for Christ. We suffer persecution and mockery. Why? Because, number one, we love God. Amen. And we stand up to the the spirits of this world because we love people. You know, because we believe that that homosexuality is a sin. The world calls us haters. And we're not haters. Paul said this, he said, speak the truth in love. That's the only way that we're going to be able to grow up. So if we really love the sinner, we're going to speak truth to him but we're going to do it in love. Amen. I tell you, there's many, many turning. Praise God. Hallelujah. But there's many more to be saved. Isn't that true? Verse 15 says, Then I urge you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. The King James says, And they have addicted themselves to the ministry. Comes from the Greek word ataxin. And it just means to be absolutely sold out. That's really what it means. It means to be sold out to the ministry. And there's people in the church. Of course, I know that there's many in the church that just sit back and would rather have other people do the work. But there's those in the church that are sold out. They're sold out to the ministry. What a tremendous help uh, they are uh, to the pastor and to the leadership of the churches. Notice what Paul says here. And this is very interesting. I want us to see this. In uh, Romans 16, verses 1 and 2, notice Paul, in the end of uh, his letter to the Romans, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, 
and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Isn't that interesting? Amen. Praise God. And then Paul says this in verse 16. Notice he says, And I beseech thee, brethren, that you also submit to such and to everyone, notice that, and to everyone that works and labors with us. Now let's go back to verse 15 again. He says, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves. Now this is speaking primarily of husband and wife, that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And so Paul goes on in verse 16. He says, I beseech you, brethren, that you also submit to such. Yeah, men and women. Well, then that would apply to Phoebe, the sister in the Lord. Paul is talking to the Roman church. Submit to this one. She's a servant of the church. Receive her in the Lord, a manner worthy of the saints. Well, if the Corinthian church were to submit to the household of Stephanus, how much more should the Roman church submit uh, to Sister Phoebe? And going back to what Paul said, he says, let all that you do be done with love. There's love in that. Praise God. And then verse 17, Paul says this, I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they have supplied. Or they have made up for the work that you weren't able to assist me with. I'm here all by myself, working. But now here comes Stephanus, here comes Fortunatus, here comes Achaicus. And then Paul says in verse 18, For they refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. What a refreshing it is for a pastor to have men in the church that just look to the things in the church instead of leaving it all upon the pastor. You know, you'll drive by a church and you'll see the grass that hadn't been cut. You'll see the hedges that haven't been trimmed. You'll see maybe windows that are dirty. And uh, the first reflection is, boy, I tell you, that pastor needs to get busy. Well, let me tell you something. I know by firsthand experience that pastor's working a full-time job, anywhere from 40 to 55 hours a week. He has a family to take care of. He has studying he has to do for the ministry. And by the time he gets through with all that, he doesn't have time for anything else. Think of all the counseling he does. Think of all the visitation that he does. Going to the hospitals going to the homes of, church, of sick church members. And yet we have congregation of men that just sit around and expecting the pastor to do it all. That's not right. That's not, that's not walking in love, brothers and sisters. Love is going to give. I remember somebody telling me years ago about a Methodist church where it had a lot of retired men. And in the morning during the week, what they do, they'd go out and they'd play a round of golf. And then they'd have lunch. And you know what they did in the afternoon? They all assembled at the church and they all worked at the church doing things that needed to be done. What a tremendous load that lifts off the pastor. So if you're a church member and you're in church and you're not doing anything, I want you to consider get your hands involved in the ministry. Get get doing something. Find find a hole and plug it. Praise God. Amen. Find a need and fulfill it and do that. What a tremendous blessing.
that you will be to your pastor. He may not acknowledge you, but in time he will. He'll appreciate all that you do for him to free him up so he can do the things that he is called to do. Amen. All right. Now, let's finish this uh, uh, chapter out. Verse 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. I tell you, uh, if you want a good study, study what the Bible, the New Testament has to say about Aquila and about Priscilla. It is tremendous. Uh, These people were lifelong friends of the Apostle Paul. Verse 20 says, all the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. A holy kiss, that's an Eastern greeting. You know, men would kiss men and women would kiss women. That's just something that they did. Now, we don't do this in the Western world, but they did it in the Eastern world. And then in 21, Paul says, the salutation of my own hand, Paul's. If anyone, verse 22, does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. Anathema Marana thought. Now, Paul was not addressing the world. He was not calling the world a curse. The world is already under a curse until they come to Christ. Paul, I think, is addressing this uh, statement to those nominal Christians who refuse to make a difference. They refuse to love Christ because for them to love Christ means that they have to suffer and they don't want to suffer. Paul is saying to them, uh, they, they must they should be a curse and they need to be a curse or they deserve anathema. But of course, we know that they're, they're not anybody that loves God and truly born again. His heart's right with God. But I tell you, we need our outer man to be perfectly joined with our inner man where there's no difference between the spiritual and the natural. When we come to that place where there is no difference between the spiritual and the natural, we have really come to Christian maturity. And then Paul ends this uh, chapter out. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, what a fitting conclusion to this wonderful letter. Amen. And I hope you have enjoyed, enjoyed this letter as much as I have in studying it and in ministering on it. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, for your goodness. Now, Lord, we ask the word of God. Lord, just for our eyes to be open. Lord, reveal the truths therein. And we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. 
God bless you and remember what Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life.